Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. And this is Tony LaGrecker, and this is The Courage to Hope. And tonight we have a very, very special guest. We have Marshall Lane, who, if you've been following us for the last couple of months, Marshall has volunteered himself to go homeless so he can report all the different things one has to go through that is homeless. Welcome, Marshall. Hey, Tony. How you doing? I'm doing good. That's the big question is, how are you doing? And how's the life on the road or on the street, as we would say? Well, I'm doing pretty good, and it hasn't been too crazy too tumultuous um but i'm pretty resourceful and i i, I knew a little bit about the, the situation beforehand and i've learned how to access a lot of resources and so it's been all right so we had people to understand what is the purpose of why you're doing this and and um and you gave up you had a house you had an apartment you had a truck you had a job and now you've opted to do this so what what is the main purpose of why this is happening so like the thinking that went into this is what I was seeing is like, we're beginning to like, I hate to use the word tipping point because everyone uses it, but it's like in a in socioeconomic crisis of a tipping point where people are just falling below, below this poverty line and they're beginning to experience um, becoming destitute, so to say. And you throw this whole addiction crisis on top of it and all over the country, really, uh, the homeless populations are kind of ballooning out and it's becoming more difficult for uh, our governments and social service agencies to to really have safety nets for these people. And you're seeing more and more tent cities popping up. Uh, you see more people um, panhandling or stemming as uh, people in the homeless community like <coughs> to call it on different places you haven't seen them before. And it's just, it's really getting out of hand. And I, I from what I've seen, I don't think that it's going to improve. So uh, I don't, I, I agree with you because the difference between somebody who has minimum wage or unemployment, especially I can relate to the state of Massachusetts, um, in the mediocre towns, the average house is $500,000. And in the upscale towns, nothing less than a million dollars. And and that that's great if you're working and you're making $150,000 a year and there's two of you in the household. You can make that work. But if all of a sudden you lose your job and you lost your income from one reason or another, whether for health reasons or because you've got addiction and problems and and now you're trying to make it happen. And even even if you ever were successful getting a job, getting back into the system, having one month's rent and, and security deposits and first and last month and all that. That becomes like, you know, it's a it's a ten thousand dollar ordeal just to get back going again. And um yeah, and hard to get a job if you don't have a place to live. So um so tell me I'm just curious like what it's like in the beginning, the first week or two that you were out there, you said you stayed in the Boston area. So yeah, like the first <laughs> I made a lot of dumb mistakes, like starting out with this. Like first I brought way too much gear out i had like a big 
um, hiking pack. And I had like this little pack that went on my bike on the little rack on the back of the bike. And I put all this gear in it and it was really causing me a lot of, um, physical agony. Let's just put it that way. Um, having to ride the bike around, you can't leave anything out. Like you have to lock everything up all the time. So I'd have to carry the bike pack with me in places. And eventually I had to ditch that thing. And then I had the big hiking pack, which I was riding my bike around and it really started to do a number on my body, on my knees and my back. And I had all my kind of sleeping bag and camping gear in there. And in Boston, there's not a lot of like areas you can really tuck in and kind of hide and sleep. So I was kind of at a disadvantage. I, I connected with some homeless people and became friends with them through some of like the meals and things. And they began to educate me a little bit. And they showed me a place where I could sleep underneath. Uh, like there's like a little overhang on a church in Boston. And there was a couple people sleeping there and they let me stay there. So I started sleeping under there. Um, I didn't have a blow up, like the little blow up camping mattresses. So I was sleeping directly on the ground, which was uncomfortable and was causing me like pain in my back and things. So they put me onto that. I ended up getting one of those. And then I have what's called an active and fit membership, which is through AAA. They bundle gym memberships. So um, it's 28 bucks a month. Uh, I've been doing it for a while. So instead of carrying my gear all over the city on my bike, I started going into the planet fitness, on I think winter street in Boston and locking the bulk of my gear up and then taking, there's a small backpack I can unzip from the big hiking pack and just carrying that around. And I was more mobile. So I spent a lot of time in the commons area of Boston and there's a large population of homeless people that live there and they kind of live off. There's multiple meals that they have in Boston at different churches throughout the week. And you kind of cycle around and go to the meals, hang out in the commons. And I spent the bulk of my time there, but I traveled into uh, the mass and cast area when the encampment was there. And I spent a little time in there, which was uh, pretty sad. And it was very dangerous. Uh, I ended up spending a night in the, I think it's the woods Mullen shelter for men there. And it's a huge shelter with like 500 beds. When I went in there, half the place was empty. And then there was people living in an encampment outside. The, all of them had, you know, addiction issues. And that was interesting. And then uh, I spent, uh, I went to a couple of the meals in Cambridge and they have a, a population of homeless people there as well. And that's a little bit of a nicer area, more places where you can tuck in and sleep and find a place to set up a tent. Um, so I kind of like just traveled around and got to know like the city and the resources that they provide. And I guess that was, that was the beginning of the trip. So what did you do for, so you, the planet fitness, did you use the shower there and use the bathroom there? Is that part of what you, um, where do you, where do you take a shower? How often do you get to take a shower? So when I was in Boston, I used the shower a couple times at planet fitness realistically like when you don't have like a home like what i've come to find out is like you don't want to i don't shower very often when i'm on the streets um i will use a planet fitness for a shower here and there but uh you know like you're always traveling you're always moving so it's like it takes a lot of effort to go in there i have this big hiking pack and people looking at you and you take a shower 
and you leave. It's a good resource for that, but I'd use the bathroom occasionally. Uh, I try to document things as I go. I keep, you know, so I would sit in the planet fitness. I'd use that almost as like a homeless day center, which some cities have day centers. Some places don't. A lot of the churches will provide breakfasts and services. You can use them as a day center. Those are, those are invaluable services for people that are in the street. And I commend anybody that provides these types of services for people. And some of them will provide showers. Some of them provide, let you wash your clothes. Um, and the thing I, I didn't like is from traveling from city to city is some places have these resources. Some places don't. Some places serve meals and that's about it. You know, you come and you eat and then you got to figure out the rest on your own. How do you, how do you know where these places are? Well, you talk to other people living in the street, you know, like where are you eating? Yeah. You go on Google, you look it up like homeless services, you know, you see which ones provide meals and then you go in there and you connect with people. And you say, like, where else is serving meals? Like, is there a place you go to shower? Is there a day center? You look up the recovery centers. Um, recovery centers are good resources uh, for, you know, people with addiction, past addiction problems or might be struggling with addiction. And as long as you go in there and, you know, you ask for help and, you know, you, you behave yourself, then they're, they're pretty good at providing you with help and services. So those are good places. So... You just kind of like start looking it up on Google, start asking around. That's one of the beauties of like the technological age is we got everything at our fingertips. So you kept the cell phone with you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I need it. I, I need the cell phone so that I can document and I can upload videos and take pictures. And, you know, it's, it's this is a big <laughs> it's a big undertaking, to say the least. So you had to find a place to charge it, though, every day. And yeah, yes. And kind of hung out wherever that was until the phone was charged enough. And yes, libraries are a good place for that. Um, libraries are real good resources to charge phones and hang out and do work. I spent a lot of time in libraries. So your clothes look okay. You don't look like you've been sleeping in them all the time. Yeah, usually like I'll spend about a week in an area. Boston, and I spent three weeks, sometimes a little bit longer, and that's about it usually takes about a week to get a good overview of what like comprises an area as far as like homeless services they have. So the longest I go without a shower is about a week. And, you know, like in, in, in my prologue and my writing, I said, like, I'm not, some people expect me to like go out there and like literally just kind of like force myself to suffer. But I still do spend time with like my friends and my family. And I, Keep those connections obviously my mother worries about me i got to see her once a week so i take advantage of those connections during the week and you know i'll make sure that i'm healthy and right i take vitamin c every day to keep myself from getting sick so you know i i really do mind my own mental and physical health how about women are there many women out in this what you're doing so that, tony that's a good question that's a really good question. And what I've noticed is as far as um, people living in the street, unhoused populations, the majority of people are male from what I've seen. But yes, there are women that are unhoused and they do have different services. Like you'll see, it's like it's impossible to access all the services. They have services for women. They have services for men. They have services for people that are substance users. They have services where they don't want people to be intoxicated while accessing services and things of that nature. 
So you feel the state of Massachusetts or the cities and towns in Massachusetts are doing a reasonable job at trying to, you know, make life on the street not so miserable. That, now, that's kind of a big question as well. Um, I, I know you could. Every town is different, you know, so I um, well, let, let me hear what, what have you learned? So what I would say is I would say every area is different. Now, I do policy points. Um, every week or a couple weeks, I key in on things that I see in different areas um, that like I like or places could do better. And I'll kind of give a few of the ideas. Um, one of the big things that I, I really advocate for is having space in the wintertime, right? You're right. There's always food. There's always things to keep people alive. But during the winter, a lot of the warming centers and shelters have caps. So imagine, you know, it's five below zero and, you know, places are turning people away. They got a 45 person limit. Like that's unacceptable. This is, this state has more than enough resources to make sure people don't freeze to death in the winter. So making sure that people are not subjected to, you know, deathly cold conditions in the winter. And there's, and you don't have to have people say you have the bunks and all this other stuff. A lot of these warming centers are just floors in a building, in a church somewhere. And they just, it's just warm. You know, you give them people blankets, you know, you're, you're going to live through the night. So I feel that every place that has populations of homeless people and has services should provide, you know, accommodating uh, shelter for people in the wintertime. That's a must. Uh, another big thing that I've noticed is some places will have day centers for homeless people, which are super beneficial. People can go in there and wash their clothes, take a shower, have a coffee. They have case managers in there. Uh, they have, you know, places to charge your phone. You can watch TV, take a nap. That's a saving grace for a lot of people. And it's and it helps people get out of their circumstances, especially if they got case managers working there. For example, like I'll say Framingham, for example. I, they have a day center that's open twice a week. The second I walked in there, the guy came up to me. I think his name was Bob or something. And he was like, how can I help you? He's like, can I get you in the shelter? Can I help? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, man, I live outside. Like I'm, I'm good with all that, but I, I really like that. And then I'll, there's another day shelter. I'm not going to mention where, and there's counselors sitting in their office. And then there's a person sitting at a desk and never once have I seen them get up and sit down with the people and say, how are you doing? Or can I help you? Or, you know, and that's frustrating for me because I'm thinking to myself, I'm a hardworking person. All of our tax dollars are going to pay these people salary. And what are they doing? Like, uh, you know, I can't see the other stuff they're doing, but people should, if they're working in social service, you should be proactive in making sure that everybody's all right and taken care of. So that's another thing that I've noticed. Um, so... I guess I'll just kind of leave it at that because there's just so much, Tony, that I can discuss. Yeah. So at nighttime, if you're in a day center during the day and then at nighttime, it's kind of cold and you're quite, you haven't found a place yet. Is this, is the secret to keep moving or is it to hover in a corner somewhere and be out of the wind and try to get a little bit of a nap while you, even though you're freezing? So like one of the things I noticed a lot about people that have become accustomed at living in the street is they're always layering up. They want clothes. They want, you're talking three, four layers of clothes to stay warm, to keep their bodies warm from that. And depending on how cold it is, uh, 
one person that had been homeless um, a good period of their life told me emphatically. He said, because I asked him, like, what do you do when it gets cold? He said, when it gets cold out, he's like, you're going to find a form, a, a warm place to sleep. You're going to find a, a place, a building, a business. You know, if you have to, you're going to call the police. You're going to go to the hospital. You're going to go to the airport. You're going to go in somewhere warm. And I think that rings true because I've noticed in some of these cold days where I'm out in the street kind of wandering about that I'll go into like a mall area or I'm trying to, I go to the library or if there's a, a, a day center, I'll go there. I'll go to the recovery center. I'm going to find some place to keep me warm. I don't want to be sitting out in the street be cold. Um, a lot of homeless people live in tents on the street. Um, so like they get their, keep their tents warm. They have like multiple blankets, sleeping bags, air mattresses. And uh, another thing uh, homeless people put me on is tent warmers. They have like these propane tent warmers that blast heat out, keep your tent warm. You can utilize that. And it doesn't really get that cold in New England during the winter. You know, maybe 10 de- negative 10 degrees is like the most it's going to get, which is livable if you're dressed properly and you have enough stuff to keep you warm. And a lot of people and more people now, I think, than ever that are, are living outside are just utilizing these simple type of supplies and equipment to just make it through the winter. And, you know, once you're through the winter, you're in the safe zone because you just got to eat to survive. So are there places where you can get, if you're, you know, the typical homeless guy, can, can you get a job during the day working cash under the table or something? Is there companies where you, they need somebody to unload a truck or, or to, is there places where you can go to get a one, you know, one day of employment so you can make some cash so you can buy that tent warmer or you can buy those things? So, yes, um, some people get some people get government assistance. Like there's a, I think there's even like an SSDI thing or something. That if you if you're chronically homeless, you get like 300 bucks a month. I've heard about that. I don't know much about it, but it's been told to me. Some people will work. Um, I spent time. I, I I stumbled upon a man's camp in Springfield when I was out there homeless, and he saw me, and I saw him, and it was kind of like an awkward, um, kind of engagement. And I didn't want to make him paranoid and walk away, so we ended up having a conversation, and I ended up staying with him for a few days in his camp he was living outside by the river in the tent and he was a person that had had great loss in his life he lost his parents he said the house burnt down and he struggled with some addiction issues and he uh he just got stuck out there and what he would do is he would hang out around town and he talked to everybody he was a he was a very social guy and people would he would pick up jobs like some guys were leaf blowing he talked to them and they got some cash to help them leaf blow he would call another guy and ask for work every day so he was always looking for work to make money but the sad thing is in, in his circumstance is it's not a lot of money and he has to manage his addiction issues. well i was going to say if these people have addiction issues it's expensive um and so they is the does the addiction control the decision making so this is something I've talked at length with people and I've been writing about it and I can't even write enough about it. And what I've seen, what's been told to me is first off, I believe that the issues that we're seeing now with poverty and homelessness, I'd say my opinion is about 80% of it 
is fueled by addiction. And where it gets a little bit tricky is, and what some homeless people I've talked to have said is they say, sometimes people come out here and get stuck out here and the addiction isn't that bad, but it gets worse because they're, they're using substances to try to deal with like the, the uncomfortableness and the suffering that goes with homelessness. So it becomes a cycle and it just feeds itself. Yeah. Now what, when you say, when you're talking about addiction, are we talking alcohol, drugs, what type of drugs, um, you know, where, where is the, um, where is the bulk of it coming from? So what I've seen a lot of is obviously like there's a lot of drinking and I can even say on my own that like drinking does provide a, a certain level of comfort. I don't drink alcohol at all, but I've been on some cold nights past the liquor store and thought to myself like, well, well that wouldn't that be nice? So it's like a lot of drinking, obviously. Um, one thing I didn't realize how many people smoke crack. There's a lot of crack smoking going on out there. Um, and I guess it's relatively cheap. And the other big drug, and I think the drug that causes the majority of the problem is fentanyl. Uh, there's a lot of fentanyl used in the streets and a lot of people that weren't fentanyl users that end up in the streets become fentanyl users. And that's what I'm finding out. And like that drug in itself is just such a killer. It just really just sucks the life out of people. And uh, it's just a, you know, if we could get rid of fentanyl tomorrow, I think our whole society would change um, incredibly for the better. Oh, yeah. Now, how do they do fentanyl instead of? Is it they snort it, smoke it, uh, shoot it up, or is it a pill form? What what I don't I never can understand. So they know it's a hundred percent fentanyl that they're taking. Yes, yeah, they know it's fentanyl. Um, fentanyl is a synthetic form of opioid, kind of like heroin, uh, but it's very fast acting and it's extremely addictive. And if you once you're hooked on it, like the withdrawal it is like you know they say is like you know, comparative to wanting to die and people will take it in many, you can take it any which way you want. You can smoke it, you can sniff it, you can inject it. Um, they're starting to put other drugs in it, like um, tranquilizers, like xylazine and things. Uh, it, 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 the worst of the worst that I've seen with the addiction issue and people living outside is people that are heavy, heavy, um, fentanyl users that are poisoning themselves and they're covered in sores all over their body. Um, you know, you can tell that their, their mind and their faculties are going and it's, uh, just a really sad, sad state of affairs. And, um, I, I, I can't even tell you how much it affects me, um, psychologically and emotionally to, to see it and to think that, you know, this person has gotten to this place. And a lot of these places, people you're talking about, I mean, when you say like you go to the library, um, you you obviously must look pretty good. Otherwise, they would call you a vagrant and throw you out or tell you that you can't um, can't hang out here. You must look like you belong in the library. Is so surprisingly, I, like a lot of homeless people hang. They, they, I don't think they can really kick you out because technically they're American citizens. They're not violating any rules. I've seen people um, with all different sorts of appearance that are homeless that utilize the library as a day center for themselves. And never once have I seen somebody removed. I, I think the thinking um, socially now is 
that we just kind of let people do as they please and we don't bother them unless they're like a, a threat somehow in society. So like, yeah, like uh, Framingham, for example, cops hang out there, huge hangout for people out there um, that happen to be in the streets. And, uh, you know, uh, it seems like, you know, they're, everyone's pretty much left alone from what I've seen. Yeah. Now you, you took your bicycle out to Springfield. So I took the train, um, no Springfield. I had to drive. So I still have my vehicles. Um, I keep the vehicles just so I can travel and explore new places, especially now in the winter time where like today it's raining. So, you know, it wouldn't make sense for me to be traveling around on my bike in the rain. Cause I'm going to get soaked. I could get a pneumonia or something. So, um, I'll utilize my vehicles birth just safety reasons um especially in the winter so that i'm not subjected to you know extreme ex extreme weather or, or conditions and things that uh could cause me bodily harm one thing i do notice is like on a day like today if i was you know in my tent you know where i had to come see my mother i actually walked out in the rain but usually if it's raining like this i'll just stay in my tent all day you know i got some candy in there and a lot, and I noticed a lot of people that live in tents when it's really nasty out, they'll have some supplies and they just kind of wait for it to pass unless they, for some reason, they have to venture out. If they have addiction or something of that nature and they have to do certain things that they have to do um, to take care of that, then they'll do that. But um, when I've been in kind of tented areas with people, I've noticed that when the weather's really bad, they just kind of hang out in the tent. Do they have enough? I would, you know, people would get dehydrated if they're not drinking a lot of water and it's, you know, of course I'm probably double your age. So, um, you know, my problem would be if I had to keep drinking water to make sure I don't get dehydrated, then I'm going to have to find a bathroom and, or someplace behind a tree or something. So I am going to have to get out of my tent every three or four hours, unless I got a, um, a urinal container or something in the tent with me. You know, um, I'm sure that's that's got to be an issue for some people. Yeah. So, you know, for me, like I have a container that I urinate in, in the tent, especially in the cold, because I don't want to have to go through the whole process of going outside the tent things. Um, yeah. But for some people, like you got to kind of figure out like what's it's kind of like the path of least resistance. You know, people are trying to figure out, like, what's the best way to kind of make things work and survive in that condition um, without, you know, overexerting themselves. Like, one of the things I've noticed is um, in street populations, the majority of people are on foot. So they have to stay within a general area of where their resources are. Because otherwise, like, traveling is just too much work. Um what I liked about Worcester when I was homeless in Worcester, the buses were free. I didn't realize this. And one day I saw a bus and I got on it because I had been driving riding my bike everywhere. Worcester's a big city full of hills. And uh, one of the women on the train was like, yeah, the buses are free and they're going to be free for another year. And what I noticed is they had a large population of homeless people that live far away from the resources in the center of the city and camped outside in the woods which was manageable because they could just come out of the woods, jump on a bus, and then they're right downtown and get their food and they could hang out at the library and they can see their friends and whatever else. Wow. Um, 
What about families? Do you have father, son, I mean, and I mean, father, wife, and kids. You've seen many families out there homeless. So I have not seen a lot of families that are homeless. Um, what I have seen is this. I've seen sometimes people that, you know, they, they seem like they might be from like other countries and things, accessing the resources where they'll have children with them, things they go to the dinners. I see them go to the food pantries and things, and they'll have children and things with them. I can't tell whether or not they're unhoused or not. You know, my guess is that they probably have, you know, they stay with family, like they group together and maybe get a place and they all pitch in, but they just kind of try to like live as cheaply as possible so that they can succeed. I did see one woman with a young girl. Um, I have seen a few, but it's a few times I've seen children, but it's not prevalent. It's not something I see everywhere. I'm guessing and I guess I could kind of dig into this more as I travel to more cities that the, the state has done a pretty good job at taking care of children that are in like these compromised positions, but it does, it, it is out there. I've seen a little bit, but it's not an overwhelming thing that I see. I would think the kids would end up in foster care. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That would be a, at least not the best choice, but it's, it's certainly a choice. And that's something that certainly beats better than, being on the sidewalk. Um, you said you, you were at mass and cast during the day, but at nighttime you went elsewhere. It, you said you emphasize it's dangerous. What, what makes it dangerous? So one of the things I noticed, like when I would travel through there, um, I did get a few like kind of short, well, I interviewed, I got a longer interview from a person there, but everybody wanted me to give them money. And I haven't gotten to a point where I'm paying people to get interviews. So, I kind of, I shied away from that. I didn't want to like reveal that I might have like a little bit of money to pay people. And then, you know, what I notice in the mix is everybody's using drugs. So you've got a mixture of people that are selling drugs and then you got a mixture of people that are using drugs. So um, if you look at the people like carefully, you'll notice they all have knives on them. Like they're already prepared to, you know, protect themselves. If they have to, or do violence. Um, there was a lot of pro prostitution. Um, I noticed that. I actually was going to talk to a couple women sitting on a blanket um, near the South Bay Plaza one day. And I told them that I was kind of documenting homelessness and if they wanted to share their story with me. And a fellow walked up to me and he had a bunch of cash and he had some crack vials and he had a knife in his hand. And, uh, I told him, I said, well, like, I'm just kind of like living homeless for a year and I'm documenting it. And he got aggressive with me and he was like, just, you know, get stepping. And I could see a knife in his hand and I was like, yeah, all right, I'm gone. Like, I'm not really going to hang around yeah. here. So I just, you know, and everybody I talked to on um, the mile, on Methadone Mile would tell me that like all their stuff got stolen, like constantly stuff getting stolen. So like during the day, it was pretty rambunctious. So I could just imagine like in the darkness at night, there were cops that would hang around and just kind of watch the whole melee and keep an eye on things. But I don't know. They, they shut it down. I'm just glad they did. I just really, it was really sad. And I took a stance of that, you know, people should not be allowed to just willfully use dangerous drugs in the street in front of law enforcement to the point where they're dying. Like I just, I don't know. It didn't sit right with me, Tony. Yeah. I, every time I've driven by, I've seen, 
probably half a dozen police officers. Uh, they're just sitting on their bicycles across the street or they're in a cruiser. Not quite there, but close to there, you know, and there's like a, a business across the street. And um, I would hate to have that have be the owner of that Best Western Hotel that's right there diagonally across. And uh, um, it, it's got to be rough for the commercial establishments in the neighborhood there that and certainly they got to be for more than more than the average person, you know. Um, what have you learned? Really, the biggest thing you've learned that you didn't think you were going to learn that you didn't know. The biggest thing that I've learned is I think commercialism is out of control, really. And I think people, the way that we're, we're bombarded with information from our phones, people are constantly investing so much of their lives into uselessness, into buying things and, and, and you know, becoming obsessed with like self-image and things, which is, you know, making America sick on top of like the pharmaceutical companies that come in and they, you know, when people deal with, you know, unhealthy, you know, you know, disturbing emotions and things, they, they get over-medicated. I think that we live in this buying culture that's making people sick. And what I've learned is, you know, traveling around and living in a little tent, I found that I can live comfortably out here in the street and close to society, what I've been calling urban survival. I can do that for under a thousand. I could do it for about a thousand dollars a year and I could live a happy life and a connected life and find people and community um, and find value and enjoyment in life. Like, I think our society has been sold that, like, you know, this co consumerism of lifestyle is the best that there is, but I think that it's poisoning our society. And I think people that get caught up in this and have to live paycheck to paycheck and aren't able to make it are the ones that are going to end up, you know, struggling and destitute on this lowest rung of the socioeconomic ladder, which is just going to keep expanding. I think, you know, taking more time to take care of yourself and love yourself and, you know, kind of develop more relationship with the community uh, and the people around you and, and like kind of finding like the value in that. I think that the scales are unbalanced and I think it's causing a lot of mental disease in our society and there needs to be more of a balance of like, you know, equanimity, finding equanimity in life instead of constantly chasing after the next thing. You know, it's going to fix me. It's going to make me better. I need more and more and more. Like, I think that's a disease in itself that our whole society suffers from. And I think that it's kind of at the heart of the problems that we're seeing because I got this tent that I set up out in the woods and I go about my business and I eat my food and I talk to the people in the street and, uh, and then I go back to my tent and, uh, and I'm really content. I'm at peace. And I thought that this was going to be difficult and hard. I know the winter is probably going to be one of the hardest things I've done, but you know, we're intelligent, we're resourceful. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said about the power that exists within us, you know, and I think that gets lost when we constantly try to look outside ourselves for things that are going to improve our life. I think we're so busy trying to make it work that before you know it, you know, you're 40 years old and before you know it, you're 75, you know, it's because you spend so much time just trying to exist and keep those standards that the television and the social media tries to throw at you. I found that, um, I had a sickness. I had COVID and I was um, quarantined for about eight, nine days yeah, by myself and uh, watching television. And I swear five out of every six commercials were for people who to, to buy more medicine or drugs. 
it's like unbelievable how many either that or uh, how to deal with Medicare, you know, or AARP. It's like constant, you know, because I'm watching shows for old guys, you know, um, but it's still it's still so many, so many of those um, drug commercials. It's it's kind of out of control. I don't think they'd be TV if they weren't they weren't drug commercials, because who would be advertising? Because They cover the whole they're covering the gamut on everything, you know, and uh, and then on. I don't know how many people that are homeless are got the disease of a, of a gambling addiction, but um, I could see where people are going to lose their house because they gamble so much. I mean, and try to watch the Celtics and they, in the middle of the game, they're telling me what the line is and what the over and under is and at, at halftime, you know, it's like craziness, you know? So um, it's uh, one of those things where you just, you know, it's it's a whole, all all our existence is about something revolving either around addiction, drugs, or some form of medicine of some type. You know, um, and trying to keep up with the Joneses, I guess that's that seems to be the big thing. And I was listening to a New York radio station the other day, and they were talking about they New York City in the top 100 most expensive places to live. New York City had like 15 locations in the top 100. And um, Tribeca for a single single family studio apartment is like $4,500 a month. You know, and, you know, and that that's a bed in your living room. You know, in the kitchen in your living room, 4,500 a month, craziness. And then Upper West Side, two bedroom apartment is $8,000 a month, you know? So if you're not working on Wall Street or got some big job in a pharmaceutical company or something in Manhattan, how the hell do you make it, you know? So yeah. you, know, you got to have you gotta have a high-powered job or you got to have money. And then either that or you got to be satisfied to live somewhere where it's not quite so expensive. I think that's the secret, you know? You, but too many people have worked, have worked up in their ego to make sure, you know, so you you must have uh, a type of ego that's pretty pretty well intact. You don't you don't seem to be too worried about what people are thinking when you're out there. Am I correct? That is there. There's a stigma. Well, I know there's because, a stigma. And how bad is always, that? We always care what other people think. Um, I think like in developing the homeless three sixty six project, I I had to make that choice that you know once i'm in it i'm in it and i have to you know just take what comes and people have criticized me and people don't agree with the way that i do things like anytime i do something like you know if i go and i buy camping gear like oh like homeless people don't have money like like oh you're a fake and you know like people will criticize me and things and it is upsetting but what i've gotten and i wrote i pretty much explained all this like people don't read what i write but I feel that, um, you know, yeah, I do have an ego, but I think like the beauty in life is learning how to work with our ego, diminish the ego and learn how to do things that are meaningful and do things with purpose. And that, that's what I want to do. And I saw what was happening and I was working within that system and I did not like it. And I thought the best way for me to kind of, readjust my sales would be to step outside 
and really experience it so that I could share what I learned with other people so that it not only might help other people individually, but it can improve the system. You know, we can have better processes because, you know, like they're throwing spaghetti at a wall, Tony, and like, you know, they're convincing the public to spend billions of dollars on this and it's just not working. And, uh, you know, I think the beauty in like what I've learned in like the criticisms and like, you know, some of, and even my mother criticizes, you know, <laughs> she's yeah. still my mother and I love her. Um, but I think the beauty is the simplicity. Like I'm, I'm a person that I don't like things too complex. I don't, I feel like when people overcomplicate things, they're trying to trick me. Right. And what I've done through this process of living homeless and traveling around and now learning how to survive out in the cold and seeing how other people survive, learning from that is I break it down into, you know, the simplest way to make it work and to make it work in a way where me as a person, I can be happy and healthy in my life. And by bringing that knowledge to other people, that especially people that are struggling, that are living in the streets, that might be able to help them in their situation, bring more health into their lives. And I, I think that's kind of like really was, it's been at the core of, of what I'm doing is, you know, I do it for myself, but I do it for others. So, if, you know, I mean, like I mean, people judge me or, you know, like it is uncomfortable, but it's for a greater good. So I'm willing to, to withstand that. And, you know, it's not forever. And I, I think that's another big message is, Homeless 366 is 366 days of homelessness. It's not forever. People that are out there right now that might be homeless living in the street, it's not forever. You know, like seeing the future, because a lot of homeless people live from day to day. They live in the moment. It's hard for them to focus on something that's long term because they have to supply every day's needs, especially if you're struggling with addictions. Right. That's a battle in itself. That's moment to moment. So, you know, my goal for this project is to learn and take my knowledge and share it with society so that we can have better measures to help people that are caught in this situation. Cause they're people, they're great. I love them. I love the people I met Tony. Like I, I, I love every one of them. Like, you know, my heart really just kind of, you know, wraps around them. And like some of them have, have really impressed me, um, you know, with their, knowledge and their skills and their ability and you know they're resourceful and the way that they look at society they're not afraid to be who they are and we live in a society today where a lot of people want to be somebody else or something else they want to impress people and it's just it's a waste of the person that they are you know that's what's built into our society today. yeah they're looking for likes on tiktok you know that's that's where a lot of them are the younger ones so um, when you mentioned that you would go back to the tent when you talked about being able to live on the street for $1,000 a year, um, you, when you mentioned going back into the tent that you're, you're peaceful and, and you, know, you, you just don't have any, any uh, you, you satisfy your needs for the day and now you can just rest. You don't have to worry about a big report you have to do the next day in front of the boss. Or you don't have to worry about, there's a lot of things that are, you know, that there's a positive point to it, I think. 
you know, being on the other side, you know, sometimes we live in such a hectic lifestyle, you know, and, and the stress of that hectic lifestyle. And, and uh, you know, and I've seen people have big fights over the fact that the streaming service in the house isn't working. You know, the thing's just circling and they can't get the famous show that they want to watch. And it's upsetting or they have to pay money now to watch a football game that they used to get for free. That's a big deal for some people, you know. And uh, I can see where you don't have to deal with those kind of petty things. And that's all they really are is petty things. But we, but again, because of social media and everything, we make a big issue out of them. And um, you, you, you feel that there's, there's many different kinds of stress and you've taken all the certain kind of stress out of your life. You know, you don't have to be to work at eight o'clock in the morning or on the job at eight o'clock, right? The boss isn't there with his watch waiting to see if you're going to be on time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're living on the outskirts of society. Now near where I've camped out in the woods, I stumbled, I went down a small path and I stumbled upon another camp. Now, I didn't see who lived there. I've seen it. And whoever's living there, like I was jealous because it was like an immaculate camp. There was like a stone walkway going up to this big tent. And, you know, like they had the fire pit outside with some chairs. And I've seen other really nice camps too. And I was looking at this one, like this is probably a person that's been living outside for quite a while and they've got a nice setup. And I thought to myself that this person probably lives a pretty comfortable life. They've learned how to live this way. And for whatever reason, that might be a person that doesn't want to live any other way. And homeless people have told me, don't get used to it. Don't get comfortable. Because, you know, there's people I've met that have been homeless for 20, 30 years. You know, and we're creatures of habit. So we get stuck in a way of living and just like any other way of living, there is benefit, you know, in being homeless. Like you said, like, I don't have to go to work. I don't have to worry about a boss. I can say what I want. You know, I can, you know, I'm not worried about anything right now, you know, and I've really noticed that, you know, there is a little bit of, you know, in, enjoyability with that. And uh, I guess it's not the way I want to live my life forever, Tony. You know, um, there are other material things that I want in life. You know what I mean? But this experience and learning about it has really opened my mind to a lot of things. And like one of the big things that a lot of people, like homeless people have said is that are stuck in the shelter system or living outside and accessing services is there's not enough learning for them. There's not enough skill building, and I've looked into it. They have programs, 10 months. They expect you to be sober. They expect you to be this. There's a lot of things that our society could do to empower people instead of keeping them on a subsistence level. You feed people. You give them a fish. Give them a place to sleep. Like, yeah, that's good. Like, physically, they're all right. But what are you doing for their minds? Like, one of the things I came up with is creating, like, week-long, just a week-long skill building programs like welding i could teach someone how to weld in three days basic carpentry um small engine repair um how to use a register how to use a smartphone you know just one week you know and things of that nature there's a lot of people out there that are caught in this cycle they may be new to it they may be caught in it for a long time they might may have 
certain mental health issues or addiction issues, but by catering to, you know, whatever their needs are and providing them with, you know, um, growth opportunities that, that fit, you know, their circumstance, you would see uh, a, a huge improvement in, um, you know, what's going on out here, you know, in the streets with the homelessness and people falling under the poverty line. And I know this because I go out and ask questions and I talk to people. I can't video everything. I can't record everything, but the conversation and the relationships I build with people is very important. So I learn it's all caught up in my head. Where, if you had these courses, where would you offer them to the people? Would you do it where you're feeding, where, where you're feeding them? Or, you know, is that, or at the different churches or, you know, and would they attend? So what I would do is I'd offer them right in like the area wherever like they're serving meals, like a place that serves meals. Um, in Boston, they had a lot of uh, like workshops for people that were homeless, writing workshops. They had uh, open mic things. They did. They even had a talent show one time. I didn't get to see it, but they did a, a talent show for the homeless. people. So, you know, like they do cool stuff, you know, and like I want to see more of that. Like I want to see stuff that, you know, and you can't, like, like I, I, I Jim O'Connell, the, the guy that, um, that runs uh, healthcare for the homeless out of Boston. I watch a lot of his stuff. He's a great guy. And the way he explained it, in one of the interviews is, you know, cause they have the outreach man. He's like, it's really difficult to get, to help people that live moment to moment. They live day to day. You can't expect them to come to an appointment in a week from now. You have to really keep an eye on them. You got to check up on them. And I don't see a lot of that. Like, there should be case managers. There should be, you know, different people in social service. There should be politicians going to the homeless meals, getting on the mic and saying like, Hey, what's up everybody. You know, my name is Bob and I do this and I provide this service or I can help you with this, you know, like really get in there. Like I'm in there. I don't, I see it a little bit, but I don't see enough of it. Um, and the thing that makes me mad, like I said before, is all of our tax dollars are going to pay people that aren't doing optimal work. Yeah, you're saying it, but because they can't keep an appointment, it'd have to be spontaneous. You know, because um, I noticed even when I was in a quarantine that I didn't even know what day it was half the time. You you find that you're out there day to day. You, you get, well, you're logging everything on your phone. So you you know that what, t what today's date is going forward and so forth. And, you know, um, we're going to be coming up with Christmas and New Year's. And um, what are your plans for New Year's, for Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve? And as a homeless person, do you even pay attention to the holiday? Well, a lot of times, like some agencies, like they'll provide food and they'll have um, like a little event. People are always giving out charity and things. to people. So like a lot of people get stuff. Me personally, I'm just going to hang out with my mom, you know, like uh, I'll talk to my family probably, uh, you know, my friends and maybe just have a dinner with my mom. I always do that. I just keep it simple. I'm not a big holiday person. So, you know, I just I keep it close to the heart. I keep my circle of family and friends. And, you know, like that's how I survive community. And, you know, out here in the street, like a, a lot of the people come together and form bonds and they have community too. So like they'll be going to the Christmas dinners. Um, they might be getting together 
Um, if they live in a tent city, they'll probably do something. Um, I guess kind of like on all levels, people are just coming together and trying to enjoy the times the best they can together. So um, that's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, I entered a contest and I won the contest and I won two 25-pound turkeys and I donated them to the Pine Street Inn, figuring that they would cook them and serve them. You know, I can, sounds like they, turns out they, they cook hundreds of meals, right? Yeah. Uh, have you eaten there yet? I have not. Um, I went to Woods Mullen. I haven't gone to Pine Street, but I will say this. Pine Street gets a lot of good reviews. They have good case managers, and they do a lot to help people get back on their feet. I've heard a lot of good things about them. Oh. So, um, you know, I, so many different questions. I've seen so many homeless people that are pushing a shopping cart, and they got all their stuff in the shopping cart. When they go to these homeless shelters, what do they do with the shopping cart? So... A lot of people will stash stuff and hide stuff in different places in the woods and things, and then it gets stolen, which is sad. Um, I've seen people that are like hoarders and have like way too much stuff than is necessary, but it's understandable because you, the more you have, like the more, um, you know, you can do pretty much. And then they end up pushing the carts around. Like maybe they'll leave them outside. A lot of times people leave them outside. just hoping that nobody will mess with it. A lot of people don't. Um, Recently, uh, a homeless person or a person that was homeless for a while had said to me, like, the thing that they should always provide is storage for people that are homeless. Like, they should have different storage places where people can store their stuff, which I do agree with, like, to a certain extent. We don't want to have hoarding situations. But, yeah, people would, like, they end up with, like, a lot of stuff. And I've, I've stumbled across a lot of camps that have been, you know, destroyed where you know like there's just tons of stuff that's left over out in the woods um you know which is not like it's you know it's not pretty to see that out in the wilderness so yeah maybe providing you know more storage for people but yeah they end up with a lot of stuff and then that stuff just they carry it around with them what they can't carry they stash or hide and um just hoping that it doesn't get stolen yeah where the this radio station broadcasts from we're on we're on an old railroad bed in North Quincy, and um, there's a homeless group that live in the railroad bed. And we recently had vandals come and, and really destroy the building that our transmitters in. And I can imagine what they would what they must have done to the homeless people that were there. They probably came and just destroyed the tents or something. And is there a lot of that? Does that happen every once in a while? You have to deal with teenagers that are just out of control and they just feel like messing up with people. So, and like I thought of this earlier, Tony, and I'm glad that you mentioned it because it's hard to talk about, but this is one of the saddest things that does happen. And like for myself, where my little encampment is, my winter camp out here on the North Shore, if someone were to destroy my camp, it would be devastating. I put a lot of work into that. So, Thinking about, you know, what I've come across, uh, some homeless people have mentioned to me that, you know, law enforcement officials, uh, public officials will come and destroy their encampments, um, even in the wintertime, they've said. So, like, my advice is if you ever see somebody camping or if there's an encampment, do not touch that person's stuff. Do not destroy their stuff. 
if you have an issue with it, talk to them. Right. And there's a law. I believe there's a statute, a recent statute um, that came out in 2023 in February that states you can't move a person that's unhoused unless you have an option for them. So it does happen. Um, and I've heard stories about it and it's traumatizing and you're literally just destroying a person's home. Like, you know, it's like somebody coming, you know, to your house and, you know what I mean? Smashing all the windows and, you know, destroying stuff. It, it's really traumatizing for people. And then if it's freezing cold out and this happens and they don't have any other options, you're exposing them to possible harm or death. So um, does it happen? Yes. Um, you know, how often does it happen? I don't know. And the only thing I can say about that is if you see a tent or you see an encampment, most people just walk away and just leave it alone. Um, you know, sometimes if I see it, I saw a tent in the woods near where I might put my tent and it was all shuttered up. I checked to see if there was a body in there. It was an old encampment, you know, and I just wanted to make sure that somebody didn't die out there and just, you know, maybe two people and someone just shuttered it up. But, uh, you know, besides, you know, besides just checking to make sure people are right, always ask, are you in the tent? Are you okay? If you're going to check, that's fine. But I always suggest don't destroy um, a camp where a person might be living. Does anybody keep track of the amount of homeless people that do die in the wilderness? Is there like a statistic for that, like there is for drug overdoses and and other things? That is a really good question, and I I don't know. And now that you mention it, I really would like to know that. Yeah, so it'd be something that we need to, you know. Now, um, you accept donations for your cause here to help keep you, you know, moving along? So the blog site is my personal site. Um, I do accept donations on the blog site. Uh, it's called Identify Society. I kind of built an LLC to document and like protect my intellectual property while I do this project. So if people want to throw me a few bucks, you can go on there. But I highly recommend donating to Tiffany's Recovery Incorporated, which is a nonprofit. So um, our director of donations, Lorianne Checo, she's been coordinating with people and we've been bringing in donations and bringing clothes and supplies out to people in the street. We did Salem and Lynn. I did Boston in the beginning um, over on uh, Mass and Cass. So with a nonprofit, we really do plan on expanding our services to provide like really strong, equitable service to people that live in the street so that they can live, you know, healthier, um, more comfortable lives if they're going to be living out there. Can you say that one more time, which was the the um, where to donate again with this? The second one that you said, the nonprofit, it's called Tiffany's Tiffany Recovery. Incorporated or Inc. Inc. Uh, it's named after my sister who had passed away from a drug overdose, and we really focus on um, the addiction crisis. And we've kind of ventured into the homelessness thing uh, through this project that I'm doing, obviously, and because the one of the big, uh, the biggest factor, you know, which is facts. The homelessness in Massachusetts is addiction. And I can say that with confidence. The addiction crisis is fueling uh, homelessness in Massachusetts. So we really want to make sure that our homeless are able to survive 
out here, especially in the winter. I was going to say, we'll, we'll um, put this on our website, Tiffany's um, um, place to donate. Um, so I'm terrible. I forgot already. I'll, and send I was you the link. I'll send you the link, Tony. Well, we need, we need to make sure that Ben has it to put it on our website. Because okay, I want anybody who's yeah. listening there may be driving in their car and who knows where they're listening to listening to us from. I want them to be able to go to our website and donate money and 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 help the cause and from there. And um, Marshall, it's been really interesting speaking with you. I'd like to catch up again sometime in February, probably when you've had your taste of some zero degree <laughs> weather. <laughs> you know, you know, and um, those that can't see you, obviously, because uh, you you haven't shaved in a few days, so yeah. I can see pretty soon. Yeah. You, if you were if you were a little older, you'd have a Santa Claus beard going there. So, um, <laughs> are you going to not shave until you're done? Yeah, I, I just I just haven't been shaving. Um, and believe it or not, the beard came out like I've never grown a beard. This is my first beard experience, and it's it's actually come out all right. So I I. I I like it. Yeah, I, I had one for 40 years, so I can tell you. I know what it's like. I had to cut mine off due to surgical reasons, but I, uh, um, it was long, long time in coming. And once I took my took my beard off after I was age 70, people thought I looked younger, you know. But that's what happens when you have a white beard, you know, and you, you look like Smurf or something, you know, so. Oh, the white's uh, coming in, Tony. You can see it over here on the side. It's oh, yeah. yeah. Not like mine was. Mine was pure white, you know, maybe with a tinge of darkness every once in a great while. So, uh, again, we really appreciate talking to you today. And it's a very interesting thing that you do. And I've been following along with you for, it seemed like four months, but it's only been two months. I can't, can't believe how. Um, how every day, you know, because every day is an adventure for you. Um, people say, say that, get up and say, well, what am I going to do today? I don't know. Well, go out and be homeless for a while and see if you can figure out where to get a meal today. You know, um, that's instead of opening the refrigerator and saying, yeah, I can't decide. I got too much to pick from here, you know. So uh, this has been quite an interesting discussion. I really want to thank you. And we've been talking to Marshall Lane, who is, uh, what do you call it? 366? What is it called? Homeless 366. It's 366 oh. days of homelessness. Yeah. Homeless 366, um, which is a terrific cause. And when the book is written, I definitely want to get a copy. And um, I'd even be happy to write the forward if you'd let me. Oh, so, yeah, I would love that, Tony. Please, yes, that would be amazing. Yeah. You know, connect it to the courage to hope because you certainly have the courage. And you're out there trying to do the right thing to, to get hope for some of these people that have been out there way too long and living on the street. We really appreciate what you're doing. And uh, this is the Courage to Hope. And this is Tony LaGreca. So and we're going to be on a podcast on our website. Give it a listen and tell your friends about it so we can get more people involved and more people understanding what being homeless is really like. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tony.